One of the hardest questions, one of the hardest questions that a minister gets asked is why uh, people suffer. It is the question of suffering and evil. How can there be evil in this world and how can people suffer as much as they do? And how can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow suffering and evil in the world? If God is all-good and all-loving, then surely he must care about his children. And how it must break his heart to see his children suffering. And if God is all-loving and all-good and he cares about his children, and he sees us in our suffering, and God is all-powerful, then surely he could step in and do something about it, right? This is one of the hardest questions that is asked about God. It is one of the hardest questions asked of preachers. I mean, let's face it. If God was able to do something about it, which he's all-powerful, he can, then why doesn't he? If your child was suffering in some way, if your child was hurting and suffering, and you could step in and do something about it, wouldn't you? Absolutely you would. This is your child. You would step in and, and save the day. So why do people suffer? Why is there suffering in this world? One of my favorite uh, philosophers is a man named uh, Dr. William Lane Craig. And one of the things he says about the problem of suffering and evil is that it's not that people, uh, sometimes people will use the problem of suffering and evil as an excuse not to believe in God. I can't believe in a God who's all-powerful and all-loving and doesn't help people the way I think he should. And, and really, in reality, it's not that I can't believe in God. It's just we don't like believing in a God who permits suffering and evil. But he says, in reality, God, faith in God, is the ultimate answer to the problem of suffering and evil. Because we believe in a God who is not far away. We believe in a God who is not disinterested in his creation. We believe in a God who does not just kind of like a bowling ball get the thing going and just step back and see what happens. And that God is somewhere off on some cloud being worshipped by angels and doesn't care about what goes on here. That's not the God we believe in. No, the God we believe in is the God who stepped into humanity's clothes. He is the God who stepped into our world and put on flesh and blood and became a human being. And he lived the full gamut of human experience. The God we believe in, believe in became a man. The God we believe in became Jesus Christ, the man, the human being. He was the Messiah, the Son of God, sent by God to be our sacrifice. As I talked about my communion meditation... No, God came to earth and he suffered. He suffered more than anyone else has ever suffered. Jesus entered into our world and into its ministry. He became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. And like I said, he suffered in his body. He suffered in his soul. He suffered in his heart. He suffered more than any human being has ever suffered. And how do I know that? Because he suffered the full wrath of God on the cross for our sin. That God poured out all of his wrath on his son. That this all-loving, all-good God didn't even save his own son because he knew that we needed that sacrifice. He knew that there was no other way that we could be saved other than through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That God's desire, God's will, God's heart beats for people and he loved people he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. That God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins and he didn't even stop the nails from going into his own son's hands because he knew that that is what we needed. God became flesh and blood and he suffered the full wrath of the Father when he died on the cross for our sins. His suffering, the reason Jesus suffered, the reason that he died on the cross was a direct result of Genesis chapter 3. It's a direct result of the curses that God pronounced on his creation in Genesis chapter 3. Could you imagine? God created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity. He created the animals and the plants and the trees and the stars in the sky and all this beautiful uh, creation that he made. And he made it perfect. He made it pure. He made it pristine. It was this amazing creation that God made. And could you imagine making something so beautiful and so amazing and so perfect and then somebody coming along and just messing it up? It, it's kind of like could you, the moment that you hold your child for the very first time, your baby's born, and you hold your child for the first time, and you look at your baby, and it's so perfect and innocent, and you go, someday I'm going to have to spank you. You wouldn't know. No. No. Never. It's the last thing in your mind. It's like, oh, I got such dreams for you. You're going to grow up and win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. But, uh, but still, it, yet God made this perfect creation. He made this perfect place for us to live. And what did we do? We sinned against him. We ruined it. We messed it all up. That God made had such dreams and, and this beautiful place, and we messed it up. And he had to curse it. And he had to curse humanity because of our sin. That's why we have suffering. That's why we have evil in the world. We brought it in to the world. And God, his heart must have been so broken at, at the thought of having to curse his beautiful creation. We rejected God and we chose to go our own way. Adam and Eve got caught and they had to be punished. They had to be punished. And God doled out curses as a punishment for sin. God doled out these punishments and these curses because of our sin. So today's message is all about the curses. Well, it's not all about the curses. Because there's more to it than just the curses of Genesis 3. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. Because I believe that God is a God of grace. And that God didn't leave us to fend for ourselves. And so we'll talk about that this morning. We're finishing our sermon series today on Genesis chapters 1 through 3 called The Rise and Fall of Us All. If you missed any of the previous sermons, they are available online at our website at www.gfcc.net. And you can find uh, all the previous sermons leading up to today's. And uh, we're going to talk today uh, about how we broke the world and the curses God had to pronounce because we broke it. Next week, we're going to begin a brand new sermon series called Dealing with Doubts. And for six weeks, we're going to talk about famous stories in the Bible where people doubted, famous people of the Bible who had doubts. And I know that a lot of times in our lives, we're afraid to doubt. We're afraid to have doubts. But I want you to know that if you have doubts about your faith, if you have doubts about Jesus, if you have doubts about God, you're in some pretty good company. You're in some really good company. And we're going to talk about that for the next six weeks. We're going to talk about what it means to have doubts and how to deal with those doubts. 
Because it's one thing to doubt God. It's one thing to doubt your faith. And it's another thing entirely to say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to deal with my doubt. I'm not just going to sit here and just say, oh, I I don't think that's true, or I doubt it, or I'm skeptical. We're going to say, I'm going to deal with this doubt. I am going to do something about it. And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks as we talk about dealing with doubts. And that's going to lead us up to Resurrection Sunday. That's going to lead us up to Easter. And I'm very excited about some of the things we're going to do in April at Easter. You'll have to look forward to that. Uh, We'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. Um, But there were people in the Bible who had moments of weak faith and strong doubt. And uh, this sermon series that we're going to start is for anybody who's ever doubted. And it's a great way to invite your friends and say, you know, if you're in a conversation with somebody and they're telling you about, you know what, I really doubt the claims of Christianity. I I doubt the the claims about God. I doubt God. I doubt my faith. Invite them to church. Invite them to say, you know what, we are talking about that very thing at church for the next six weeks. You should come with me. And uh, I'll pick you up if I have to. I'll, I'll come. I'll pick you up and bring you to church. And then I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. And then, like, take them to Subway or something or Domino's Pizza. But, uh... But it's a great way to invite somebody to church to to help them deal with their doubts as well. Uh, Today we're talking about the curses, though. We're talking about curses. And when I think about curses, I hear that word curses. I think about snidely whiplash, right? The old country, curses, boiled again. Anyway, that's just my own silliness. Um, Grab your Bible and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 24. And then we are going to read all of that in just a moment. And also grab your bulletin, turn to page 3 to the handy-dandy outline, and you can fill in some blanks as we follow along. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 24 is where we are, and we are going to read that together. Uh, if, like I said, if you have your Bible, turn there, Genesis 3, 14 to 24. This is after uh, Adam and Eve were caught. Uh, God uh, uh, called them out. You know, you have sinned. They played the blame game. And uh, so God pronounces curses and begins in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all of the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. The first blank on your outline is enemies' curses. The enemies' curses. The enemies' curses. There are three curses that God uh, brings on the serpent. And the first is that he has to crawl on his belly. 
He has to crawl on his belly. And this is a reminder to the serpent. This is a reminder to the enemy of his lowly position. That he was once lofty and now he has been brought low. The second curse on the serpent is that he would have to eat the dust of the earth. And again, just another reminder of the deception caused by the serpent. And uh, the third curse of the serpent, the third curse, is the destiny of the enemy. Destiny of the enemy. And the destiny of the enemy is destruction. Uh, I read in a commentary that said that the serpent destroyed humanity and the serpent's destiny was to be destroyed by a human offspring. God said that he would put enmity between the, wo- the woman's offspring and, and between the woman and the serpent. You know, that's a word that we don't use much anymore, this word enmity. And so I was like, what does that mean? I, I've, I've read it uh, countless times in Genesis 3, and I've never really investigated the word. What does the word enmity mean? So I looked it up, and the word enmity means hostility. It means ill will, and it means hatred. The word enmity can mean hatred. And it got me thinking. The enemy hates you. The enemy hates you. That when God said he would cause enmity to go between the, the offspring of, of the woman and the, the serpent, that it literally means that the enemy hates you. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The enemy is the source of suffering and evil in our world because the enemy hates humanity. I don't know that I can say that clear enough. The enemy hates you. He is not your friend. He is not your buddy. The enemy hates you. Jesus said that the devil is a murderer and has been from the very beginning. In John 8, 44, this is what Jesus said. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 Peter 5.8 says something very similar. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy hates you and is looking to eat you and devour you alive. Your enemy hates you. Okay? I don't know, like I said, I don't know that I can say that clear enough. The enemy is dangerous, like a roaring lion. It'd be like walking into a lion's cage at the zoo. And the lion looks at you and says, snack time. The enemy hates you. Hates you. Again, can't say it clear enough. The enemy is not to be messed with. He wants to destroy you, and he will lie to you, and he will deceive you. And do everything he can in his power to murder your soul. That is our enemy. And it goes all the way back. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But there's one more curse. There's one more curse that the serpent faces. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But before, before we talk about the last curse that the enemy has to face, I want to talk about the curses of humanity. And that's the next bunch on your outline is humanity's curses. First, uh, we're going to talk about Eve's curses. There were curses for both Eve and Adam, and God pronounces three curses on Eve first. Uh, Look at verse 16, Genesis 3.16 from the New Living Translation. 
It translates it a little bit differently. I think it makes it a little clearer. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. It means the same thing, just a little bit clearer language. The first curse uh, is increased pain in pregnancy. Now, this is not the childbirth part. This is the pregnancy part. Imagine, ladies, for those of you who have had babies, imagine no morning sickness. Guys, imagine your wife with no morning sickness. Imagine no contractions, no false labor, no pain of contractions. You have Eve to thank for that. Thanks, Eve. Love the morning sickness. This is great. The second curse was pain in childbirth. Imagine no need for an epidural, no need for painkillers, that giving birth is like a joyous, uh, pleasurable experience. Woohoo! No? No? Okay. <laughs> Who was it? Carol Burnett said that imagine taking your bottom lip and pulling it all the way over the top of your head. That's what she said that the giving birth is like, so. No thanks. The third curse, the third curse that uh, God pronounces on Eve is a desire for her husband's position. A commentary I read said that Eve manipulated her husband and now would be ruled by him. It's a broken relationship now between spouses. You wonder why your spouse, you and your spouse fight? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's why we fight. It's because there is now, uh, there is sin that has entered into the picture and and the relationship that we have between between spouses is uh, is been marred by sin. So when sin entered the picture, so did jealousy, so did envy, so did anger and resentment and bitterness, so did distrust and deception. Adam and Eve got caught, and what did they do? They played the blame game. Adam blames God. The woman that you gave me gave me the fruit, and I ate it. But it's your fault, God. You gave me the woman, and it's the woman's fault. I, I imagine Eve sitting there going, hey, 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 wait a minute. Nobody made you eat the fruit. Nobody has to eat the fruit. I'm sorry. You did it of your own accord. And so now there is enmity between husband and wife. There is fighting between husband and wife. There is fighting between spouses. There is mistrust and blame. And the relationship is broken. But God did not curse Eve alone. Oh no, he saved some curses for Adam as well. Adam's curses. Uh, God did not leave him, set, let him off the hook. There were two curses for Adam. First, Adam would have to toil in order to eat. He would have to toil in order to eat. Now I believe that God's plan all along was for mankind, for humanity to work. That, that was God's plan for humanity. We were supposed to work. Genesis 2.15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. But what happens in the curse is that work turns into toil. Work turned into toil. I believe work was meant to be enjoyable. It, it's serious. I believe that and you're like, you have not been to my job. <laughs> you think that work is supposed to be enjoyable. I love my job. I love what I do. I love especially my my. When I take spiritual gifts inventory, um, my spiritual gift, number one spiritual gift is preaching. I love to preach. I love getting up here on a Sunday morning. I love to preach. I love to preach God's word. I love to teach God's word. 
And for me, this is a wonderful experience I get to do every week, every single week. I like the preparation part of it. I like reading and learning and, and growing in my faith. And I like getting up and, and preaching God's word and helping people grow in their faith. You see, God created Adam with a purpose, and his purpose was to take care of the Garden of Eden. And when one is fulfilling their purpose, when one is doing the purpose that God has created them to do, that is pleasurable, that is enjoyable. Toil, on the other hand, is hard, exhausting labor. And like I said, God created Adam with a purpose, and that was to work in the garden. But when Adam sinned, God cursed the ground, God cursed Adam's work, and made it into toil. One of the interesting things about this word, painful toil, it is the same word that is used in, the pre, in a previous verse talking about Eve giving birth. That the painful toil of Adam's labor was going to be, uh, it's the same word as the pain in childbearing. So ladies, I'm sorry to tell you this, but gardening is just as painful as childbirth. No? Oh, <laughs> I just assumed. I just, you know, the same word is used there. And no? Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, what do you mean it's not? Commentary, uh, commentary I read said that Adam sinned by eating, and now he would have to suffer in order to eat. And it may sound like Adam's getting off a little easy here. I mean, Eve's got pain in childbirth, pain in pregnancy, and uh, hatred between uh, her offspring and the enemy. But the second curse that Adam faces is the worst. Because the second curse of Adam is death. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and they would not be allowed to eat from the tree of life anymore. Death meant a return to the ground, a return to dust. Do you remember what it said in verse 14? What does the serpent eat? Dust. The serpent would eat the dust of the earth. Humanity was destined for dust now. And that is what was eaten by the serpent, forever linking the serpent and humanity and death. This is the worst curse of them all. Humanity could not live forever because of their sin. So something had to be done. And that's where we come into the last blank on your outline. We might be, it might be tempting to see God as this overbearing parent who punishes his creation without grace and mercy. And that is short-sighted and wrong. Even in his curses he pronounced, there is great grace. And that is the last blank on your outline. God's gracious promises. First things first, God would send a human to crush the enemy. That God is going to send a human to crush the enemy. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus came to undo the destruction caused by the devil. And that is why God, when he cursed the serpent said that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head. This calls to mind Romans 16, 20. Paul said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That God was going to use humanity, a human offspring, to crush the head of the enemy, to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent struck the heel of the offspring, but it was far from a fatal blow offspring would have the final say the offspring would have the final say in the ultimate destiny of the enemy in the ultimate destiny of the serpent 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6 and verse 10, Isaiah wrote, Surely he took up our pain and our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And verse 10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It speaks of the crushing of the Messiah. And it was all a part of God's plan. Jesus would be crushed. First crushed by the will of his father. God's will. That God, his desire, his will, his plan was for Jesus to be crushed. And it says, as it says in Genesis 3, that his heel would be bruised. Jesus' heel would be bruised. Jesus would carry the cross. Jesus would climb the hill of Calvary. Jesus would be crushed. Jesus would suffer and Jesus would die. His heel would be struck. And the devil thought that it was over. The devil thought that he had won. The devil thought that everything had come up roses for him, that everything was fine. Jesus was gone. He struck the heel of the Son of God. He struck the heel of the woman's offspring. But it was far from over. You see, on the third day, on day three, on the third day, Jesus came out of the tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was alive. And the first step he took out of that tomb, the first time his foot hit ground, it was crushing the head of a serpent. That Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, and now the serpent's ultimate destiny is destruction. God, in his great grace, has brought forgiveness and mercy to us. And he did it by becoming one of us and crushing the head of the devil. There's one other promise that I want to tell you about. The name Eve, when Adam gave his wife the name Eve, the name Eve literally means living it literally means living the mother he said that she will be the mother of all the living humanity would not die god would not wipe out humanity once and for all he would not wipe out the human race god gave garments of skin of animal skin to adam and eve to cover their shame he sacrificed an animal to cover their shame and this foreshadowed christ's ultimate sacrifice and his blood covers over our shame. If we will put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we will believe in him, believe that he died for our sins, believe that he is the way to the Father, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, if we will repent from our sins and turn away from our sins and turn to God for forgiveness, if we will confess our faith and be baptized, we will be saved. We will have forgiveness. We will have freedom. We will have joy and hope and peace and, and life eternal if we will just accept this gracious offer of salvation. As I bring this message to a close, I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture. I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Revelation 22. Turn to Revelation 22. It's the very last chapter of the Bible. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and I want you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me as we read this passage of Scripture, Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Some of you are thinking, oh, I finally get to stretch. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Get this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. You may be seated. The great hope that we have the great hope that we have is that God is going to undo the curses of Genesis 3. God is going to undo the curses of Genesis 3. I don't understand all that there is to know about the problem of suffering and evil in our world. I can't comprehend everything there is to know about God. But one thing I do know, there is one thing that I know for sure, that there will be a day when all of the curses will be done away with and we will see Jesus face to face. Whatever you're going through this morning, you are sitting there and you know what you're going through and you are having a hard time. Whatever you are facing, I want you to know this. It is only temporary. I don't want to minimize it. It is hard and it is real. What you are facing this morning is hard and it is real. And I don't want to minimize your pain. I don't want to minimize your suffering. I don't want to minimize the reality of the curses in our lives. But I know that it is only temporary. Because there is a day coming when Jesus will come on the clouds in power and glory and He will return to take us home to be with Him. And we will see Him. Every eye will see Him. And we will see Him face to face. And we will be with Him forever. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says that we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we will see Jesus face to face. And He is going to take us home to be with him and we will live with him forever and i know that you can hold on that you can press on if you will hold on to the promise of jesus if you hold on to his promise when life gets hard and when life gets tough and you feel like you are being crushed and you feel like you are cursed hold on to the promises hold on to the promise of revelation 22 and press on through the suffering Press on through the pain. And by God's grace and by God's power, you can do it. You can do it by His grace and by His power. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all.